Golf. Why am I so late? Well, reasons. I got reasons. <laughs> They're not good ones, though. Really bad reasons. So, in case you're wondering, while I'm uh, printing out my notes here, because I'm a little bit behind, uh, my wife did her uh, IFR check ride yesterday. How many of you know what that means? An IFR check ride. It means that she uh, got her instrument rating for flying aircraft, which is a really big deal. Apparently, getting your instrument rating is about the hardest thing you can do. All right. Why is this not working? All right, we're going to have a smaller crowd today, which is just as well, since I'll be promoting revolution. All right. Let's see if I can look at your comments. Good morning. (laughs) Oh, you're heading over to the Kyle Rittenhouse trial? What's this? Oh, Anne-Marie is going to the uh, Rittenhouse trial. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, one of the things I learned uh, following my wife as she's going through her pilot training is that uh, flying is a lot like learning photography was for my oldest uh, stepdaughter. She took photography class in high school. And... She took photography class in high school using regular film in old cameras at a time when nobody used film in cameras. It was already all digital. But the class required her to do this. I actually had to search for special places to buy film because stores don't even sell it anymore. (laughs) That's how useless her class was. But when you watch uh, the IFR training... So if you saw an example of an IFR class, I watched some of them online with her, it is so complicated. Like the, the map that uh, pilots use, you have to be at a certain height in certain space, and you can only be you know, between here and there. And If you're in this space, you have to be controlled by this tower. And There's just a whole bunch of rules about what you can and cannot do in the air. So if you thought you could take off and fly someplace, not so much. I mean, just an amazing, immense amount of very specific little rules that don't make any sense. So if you learn to fly instruments, you know, so let's say a cloudy day, so you're just looking at your instruments, it, it's, it's pretty hard. But here's what it could be. Uh-oh, I flew into the clouds. Autopilot. <laughs> now you're done. The, the problem with flying in the clouds is twofold. One is that you get disoriented, and even if the instruments say you're flying straight, you think, I know I'm turning. I know I'm turning. And you, you override your rational brain, which is telling you the instruments are, are saying everything's fine. So the first thing is overriding your brain, and then the, uh, the second thing is flying into a mountain because you don't know where you're going. It's one thing to fly flat, but you want to make sure you're not flying toward a mountain. So if you have, in a modern airplane, GPS and autopilot, how much, how much instrument rating do you really need? <laughs> but they, they teach you the whole thing because there are still plenty of planes that don't have those things. But if you think about it, even I could fly a plane in clouds. Where's the autopilot button? Okay. 
There you go. <laughs> Pilot since 1992, and only one plane with autopilot. Yeah, they have to be a certain level of plane before they have autopilot, and, and everything below that pretty much doesn't. But remember, it's 2021. There's no reason you couldn't build all your future planes with that function. Yes, I know my microphone fell out. All right, well, I'm a disorganized mess, if that's not obvious. And let's see if I can figure out how to look at your comments. But uh, it worked. Hey, everything's going well now. Are you ready for the best show ever? The best thing that's ever happened to you. And what do you need to make this extra special? Well, you need a cup or a mug or a glass, a tanker, chalice, stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine of the day, the thing that makes everything better. Including your antibodies. No, especially your antibodies. Go. Bob is thanking me for my notable boldness on Twitter lately. Well, I'm not sure it's a notable boldness as it is. Um, there are certain red lines. I've said this before about uh, white people. <laughs> and maybe, maybe this is true of lots of other people, but I can only speak for my personal experience. I feel as if White men especially have a characteristic, which is you can push us around a lot because we're used to it. If you're an adult white man, you're kind of used to getting pushed around. And you don't let the little stuff bother you too much. So you get the feeling that, like somebody snapped, oh, suddenly you went from flexible to, you know, uh, revolutionary. That's the way, it, that's the way we're kind of designed or trained or something. I don't know. But I know for myself, I'm really, really flexible until I'm not. Once I'm not, I'm really, really done being flexible. So does anybody else have that? You're flexible until you're not. But when you're not, you're done. Right? Yeah, I mean, so, so anybody who says, uh, I'm looking a little bold, it may be just that something, something clicked. You know, there was a red line. And I think that that red line is here. We'll talk about that. But first, what do you think of Governor Newsom, governor of California, skipping the climate summit, uh, the biggest problem in the world, the climate, some say, versus uh, staying home and apparently his alternate use of time was trick-or-treating with the kids? What do you think of that? Do you approve or not approve? of the governor missing the most important meeting in the history of the world, the climate, and going trick-or-treating with his kids. Uh, I approve. Not only do I approve, I applaud it. Remember, if you can't say good things about your political enemies, you're probably not you know, a rational member of the public. <laughs> Every, almost everybody's got something going on that's working. In, in my opinion, that's the best thing he's ever done. And I think the governor is actually a mixed bag. He's a mixed bag. There's plenty of stuff I wish he would do differently. Uh, but he's not, he's, not a, he's not a basket case. 
right? He's got some qualities. And one of those qualities is he made the right choice. Because that, that climate meeting was useless, if we can be honest. China didn't go, Russia didn't go, nothing got decided. It was useless. But apparently his family and the kids formed an intervention and said, you're going away again? It's been nonstop emergencies in California. He's probably been working like crazy. And he's just going to go away on, on Halloween. And he just said, you know, screw it. I'm going to stay home. So I would say this is the first example I've seen of a uh, Democrat leader who cared about children. Am I wrong? The first notable example of a Democrat leader caring about children. That's what it looked like to me. So I'm going to applaud it. Uh, did you see uh, Macron, head of uh, France? It was a video in which there was a little uh, sign language interpreter. And, you know, they do the little uh, cutout. So there's a little box in the corner. And there's a sign, sign language interpreter. Now, I was watching the interpreter, and I don't know sign language. But I realized that you could, you could do a very credible impression of a sign language interpreter with just these instructions. Are you ready? And I will demonstrate for you. <laughs> After watching that interpreter, I realized that if you wanted to pretend you could do sign language, you would simply pretend you were explaining how to remove a very complicated bra. Allow me to demonstrate. <clears throat> this is either a sign language person or removing a very difficult and complicated bra. Am I right? That looked exactly like sign language, didn't it? I, I think I nailed that. All right, moving on. <clears throat> In the coordinated fake news category, so this is fake news that uh, n- numerous outlets do at the same time, obviously, uh, obviously uh, coordinated. And this fake news is that renewables are more competitive than coal. In other words, uh, solar and, I guess, wind are now cost-competitive with coal. True or fake? Now, it's coordinated. Apparently, there's a number of, uh, number of outlets saying the same thing today. True or false? Here's the correct answer. I don't know. <laughs> the second part of the correct answer is neither do they. If there's one thing I can tell you with really high confidence, because I did this for a living for years, I worked in a big corporation, two of them actually, in which uh, my job in part was doing complicated analyses and figuring out what was the best financial move, this or that, and comparing them. And I can tell you with complete certainty that the person who decides what the assumptions are gets to decide what the output is. We're fooled into believing that the calculation is the thing. That's not the thing. It's the assumptions. The assumptions that you put into it will determine what the end is. And the assumptions are not math. Assumptions are opinion. (laughs) So all it is is an opinion put through a math filter so that when it's done, it looks like it it was math or science or facts or something like that. But it wasn't. It was just opinions that are laundered through a model. Let me give you an example. 
Uh, do you think that they modeled, and I didn't look at the details, but let just ask the question because it still works. Do you think that they calculated the economic impact of outages? Because at the moment, the, uh, the renewables are more susceptible to outages. Do you think if I looked at the analysis, they would have a, an actual number that they put on the impact of outages? And how would they calculate that? No, of course not. So somebody made an assumption about whether that's in or out. Again, I don't know if it's in or out. It might, it might actually be there. But the example will still serve to make the point, even if it is in there. The point is that somebody made an assumption whether that should be in the calculation or not. And it was the assumption that's going to drive the output, not the model, not the math. <laughs> it was just the assumption. So if you think that any of this stuff is like math or you know, or, or rational thinking. It's not. These are just assumptions that have been laundered through a model so that you think something, something fascinating happened. All right, let me, more on that point. If you have inconsistent uh, power, let's say because it's renewable instead of coal or some other thing, um, will new industries build a factory in your town? And if they don't, would you even know that they decided not to? And if you didn't even know if they decided not to, how do you put an economic estimate on that? Oh, it looks like we lost $3 billion because there would have been factories built here that would have produced a lot of money over time, but they didn't because we don't have dependable uh, electricity here. Now, again, I don't know if that specific example is is as relevant as I might be making it sound like, but I want you to have the sense that there's a whole bunch of assumptions that make these things what they are, and it's the assumptions that drive them, not not the math. Uh, Here's another one. This will drive you crazy. If we know, and, and the analysis says this, that the cost of solar is dropping fast, and we all agree with that, right? The cost of solar per... You know, per per kilowatt hour or whatever is dropping fast. Why doesn't it make? Why won't it make sense to wait? Do you think they modeled that? Do you think they modeled go hard now while solar is at its current price, versus just wait five years when the price is way down, and then go hard? Which one of those pays off better? Because five years net from now, you're buying the same resource at pennies on a dollar. And it will still last, I don't know, 20 years or whatever. Do you think they modeled that? I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. And if you haven't compared things to the alternative, have you modeled anything? Not really. Not really. I, I saw Elon Musk say that if you built 100 gigaplants, these are the enormous battery storage facilities, if you built 100 of them, you could uh, store all the energy needed for the entire world. Now, first of all, uh, because Elon Musk is saying it, I'm, I put a little more credibility in that. You know, even if it's off by 50 or something, it's still sort of in the, in the ballpark. And I ask you this question. What would it take to build 100 gigaplants? And what do you do with the, the batteries that you're done with? If you had 100 gigaplants, where do you put the batteries? I mean, I think it's solvable. It's not unsolvable just like nuclear waste. It's not unsolvable. But do they include all these costs? I don't know. So that's my only comment. 
There's another fake news on social media, anyway, not in the news news. There's an edited video, it's a hoax, of Kamala Harris, where she said uh, that most people in the hospital, uh, let's see, that virtually every person in the hospital is unvaccinated, she said. But it got edited, they took out the un, so it sounds like she's saying that every person in the hospital for COVID is vaccinated, which is the opposite. Uh, I only mention this for the benefit of all the people who said, I know the president called neo-Nazis fine people. I saw it myself (laughs) on the video. And of course, that was also edited maliciously. So it never happened in that case. And in this case, Kamala Harris also never said that only vaccinated people are in in the hospital. Um, Here's a lesson on vaccination persuasion. Uh, I am not going to persuade you to get uh, vaccinated or that they should be mandatory. I'm anti-mandate. So let me say this again. I'm anti-mandate. You make your own decisions. Um, But this is a persuasion lesson. And it's too late for them to go back, so I don't mind saying this. (laughs) But if, if somebody had hired me, and let's say I had been unethical, and I decided to work for them unethically, and to uh, persuade people to buy into the mandate. Here's how I would have done it. Are you ready? The way they did do it is say, hey, there's a really good reason you should get this vaccination. It's good for you. It's good for the country. Go get your vaccination. And by the way, we're going to make it mandatory. How would that work out? Okay, not so well, right? A lot, of, a lot of pushback. Here's how I would have done it from the start. It's too late to do it now. So don't worry, don't worry that I'm giving them ideas, okay? Because it's way too late. But if they'd done this from the start, imagine how much better it would have been. Uh, this would be the first thing you ever heard about a vaccination mandate, and it would come from the government. This is all hypothetical. They would say, we've decided to add the uh, COVID vaccination to the list of required vaccinations. We're going to add it to the list, the existing list, of required vaccinations. Why is that better? Because if the first thing you say is that there's a list of required vaccinations, that's your frame, then people will say, oh, okay, I wasn't even thinking in those terms, but I guess there is a list of required vaccinations. Polio, for example, right? And there's another one, I think there's another one that's required for school, maybe more than one. But if you were to tell people, and again, if you're just joining, I'm not, I'm not in favor of mandates and I'm not in favor of brainwashing the public. I'm giving you a lesson on how to brainwash the public. I would have said, we're going to add it to the list and immediately people would say, well, the other stuff on the list made sense and it would immediately change how you saw it. That's all. all right. But it's too late. They're not going to do that. And if they'd asked me to do that for them, I would have refused because it's unethical. All right, um, Regeneron, uh, which I remind you, I did recently buy some of their stock. Um, Regeneron can also be administered in a shot. Did you know that? So I thought Regeneron was just a a drip. You know, you had to put the needle in your arm and and sit there for a drip. But apparently that's just one of the ways. You can can get a, a shot. Subcutaneous, they say. And... They found out that if you get the shot, you have something like uh, uh, eight months of protection at a, at a very high level, 
from the virus. In other words, a shot of Regeneron acts very much like a shot of the vaccination. Yeah, eight months. So I, I guess you get eight months protection. Um, somebody says uh, just the drip. No, I read, I, read, uh, I read yesterday that they now have a, uh, an injectable form. So I think that's a fact. So the injectable form that is a shot will do the, basically the same thing as the vaccination. So here's what's interesting. What are they going to call it? Are they going to say one of these things is uh, prophylactic and the others are vaccinations? Because they have the same effect. Now, they operate differently. One, one uh, kills the virus really quickly. The other, I think, encourages your body to kill it. You know, is, that, is that right? You do, do I have that distinction? But anyway, forget about the exact medical distinction. Just accept that they're, you know, the, the mechanism is different. I think that's safe to say. But would that be enough for them to say one is a vaccination and one is not? One is a therapeutic? I don't think it matters what you call it. It matters what it does. But I think we're going to be in that conversation pretty soon. Um, Here's the biggest example of loser think I've been seeing. Uh, I've been telling people that doing your own research is an illusion because we can't do that. You know, ordinary, normal people can't do their own research and come to better, better ideas about things that are complicated and have people on both sides. Now, the exception to that is if all you're doing is researching to learn something. Well, that works. <laughs> that works. There's nobody on the other side trying to confuse you. So if you're trying to research what's the best way to I don't know, exercise or diet or whatever, do, definitely do that. That works for sure. It's just this political stuff doing your own deep dive on this, it just never works. Or, more importantly, you don't know if it worked or not, but it feels like it did. That's why it's dangerous. But here's the, uh, the worst take I've seen, that if information is being suppressed, it must be true. How many of you think that's true? That if, if there's somebody who's an official person, or if anybody in an official capacity, it could be a company or a government... If they're actively suppressing information, it's because it's most likely true. What do you think? Well, my take is that most information that's suppressed is not true, right? That's why it's suppressed. Am I wrong that of all the things that are true, you could fit those in a thimble? Let's just make an analogy here. If you took all the things in the world that are true, you could put them in a thimble... And then if you take all the things in the world that are not true, it would be the size of the the entire universe. So generally speaking, the reason anything is suppressed is that it's wrong. (laughs) How do you know that that's the one one thing they suppressed? Well, okay, that one's true. No, being suppressed doesn't tell you anything. Nothing at all. Now, it is true that people do hide the truth, but it isn't true that if hidden, therefore, it's true. So be careful about that. Um, am I wrong that the problems of anxiety and depression simply didn't exist when I was a kid? Now, I'm, using, I'm being hyperbolic because, of course, they existed. But not in the quantities we're seeing, right? Because in my life, almost everybody I know has depression or anxiety right now. 
Almost everybody. Do you know anybody who doesn't have anxiety and or depression? It's pretty much everybody, isn't it? Kids, adults. And um, I might be the only person who doesn't. (laughs) I was bragging about this recently. I got plenty of problems. I'm not sure you would want to trade places with me. But I got plenty of problems. But as far as I know, I don't have a mental illness. And I think that's kind of rare. Isn't it? How many of you could say that you don't have a mental illness? Um, some of you say you don't. Yeah, okay, good. Oh, a, lot of you, a lot of you say you don't. Good to know. Good to know. I'd love to know the gender breakdown of that, though, and the age breakdown. All right, but if I asked you if you had more anxiety than normal, you'd probably say yes, wouldn't you? All right, let me change the question to, how many of you have definitely more anxiety now than, let's say, when you were younger? How many of you have more anxiety? Uh, Somebody says less. Yeah, a a lot of people have more. So I'm not sure at what point anxiety becomes mental illness. You know, there's, there must be a, a point where normal anxiety becomes mental illness. But um, I would like to put out this thought. The scaring children about climate change, because apparently that's a big part of what's making kids depressed, is climate change. There's this uh, new survey that uh, says that 70% of Americans are now very or somewhat worried about glo- global warming. And it's causing all this anxiety, especially in kids. Correct me if I'm wrong. Scaring children about climate change is child abuse, yes or no? Is it child abuse? Because what are the children supposed to do about it? It's child abuse. I'm pretty sure this is, this is just straight child abuse. If they were adults and they could immediately go out and vote or do something, well, I'd say, I'd say you know, that's just fair game. But... If you're scaring children and there's not a damn thing they can do about it, it's just child abuse. And I don't believe that anybody's telling them the Adam's Law of Slow-Moving Disasters, which says, we'll figure this out, because we will figure this out. I don't think they tell the kids, yeah, it looks like a big problem, but we always figure this out. Who's saying that? I don't think they are. I think they're saying you're going to grow up into a, a world that's on fire. Imagine what that would do to a kid. As others have noted, when I was a kid, we were told that the odds of dying in a nuclear holocaust were you know, something like 50-50. <laughs> you know, the odds were really high. And we, we literally did nuclear drills. And you know, my father built a, a bomb shelter in the basement where I lived. And we, we thought we were going to die. Now, how much of a mental influence did that have on me? A lot, I think. A lot. I'm pretty sure that messed with my brain. And, you know, I don't think I have a mental illness at the moment, but I can imagine some people were pushed over the edge by that. All right, uh, speaking of polls, uh, a CNN poll says three-quarters of the public think Facebook is making life worse. Three-quarters say Facebook is making life worse. What have I told you about every poll and the 25% number? No matter what the poll is... (laughs) 25% 25% of the public will get the wrong answer. <laughs> it doesn't even matter what the topic is. Here it is again. 25% of the people think Facebook is making the world better. 
Okay. Okay. Um, so I've, I've got a general comment about that, that when you turn fear into money, civilization is doomed. And we found a way to turn fear into money. It's social, social networks. Social networks primarily in the news, I guess in general, uh, scares you until you, you know, scares you about the other, scares you about everything until you click on something. As long as that's our business model, we are actually doomed. Now, the Adams Law of Slow-Moving Disaster says we'll figure out how to get past it. But at the moment, we're on a doomed trajectory. A doomed trajectory. Because we've actually, our, our primary business model of the world is turning fear into money, and the only way that can go is the end of civilization. The only way that can go. Because there'll just be more and more fear until everything breaks down. There's no other way it can go. Except that the Adams Law of Slow-Moving Disaster says, we'll figure out something, right? I, I feel confident we'll figure out a way around this. We figure out a way around everything. But at the moment, it is a doom path. You just have to understand that so you're serious about fixing it. Um, I got a lot of pushback about doing your own research and me telling, saying that you think you can do it, but it's not a thing. Normal people can't do their own research. Maybe some people can. Maybe. I mean, I, haven't, I don't know if I've ever met that person. But I would agree in sort of a, a general conceptual way there might be people who have those skills. It's a big, big world. Somebody does. But most people think they have those skills and don't. That's where the trouble is. Oh, I read this post on Facebook, so I did my own research. No, you didn't, because you don't know if it's true. And you can't tell. You don't have the skill to know if it was true or false. You could read a lot more articles, and you still wouldn't have that skill. You could read a 1,000 articles, and you still wouldn't have that skill to know what's true and what isn't. But you think you do. You think you do. And I think the problem is that there are so many instances where doing your own research worked. But it's closer to chance. (laughs) So you can all think, can't you all think of an example where doing your own research definitely worked? You even got the, you got the right answer before the news caught on. Uh, You solved a problem that you know, the, the standard thinking couldn't solve. You, you've all had that experience. But don't be fooled by that one time you got it right. My point is not that it, it, it never works, because sometimes you can get the right answer and do a bad job of researching and still get the right answer by accident because you weren't smart about how you researched it. But you won't know if you're right. That's the problem. You, you can be right, you just don't know when you're right. That's the problem. Does that make sense? It doesn't help to be right if you can't tell when you're right and when you're not right. That, was that clear? It doesn't help to be right if you can't tell you're right versus when you're wrong. It all looks the same to you. All right. <clears throat> In hypnosis class years ago when I learned to be hypnosis, hypnotist, um, our instructor told us something that I did not believe told me something that uh, I was like, eh, that's a little too far. Like, I'm, I'm willing to buy into a lot of this hypnosis stuff, but that's a little too far. And it was this, that when people make a, let's say, a Freudian slip, they, they use the wrong word, that it actually is meaningful. 
because it does tell you where their brain is and that it's not an accident. And it's not a simple accident. Now, when I first heard that, I did not believe it. And the example he gave was this one. He said, uh, if you, let's say you're on a date and you've, you've asked a woman out. That would be the example here. And uh, it's your first date and you don't know if she's interested in you physically or not. And you're thinking about going to dinner. And the woman says, oh, God, I'm glad we're going to dinner. I'm just ravished. I'm just ravished. Now, the word she wanted was famished. Before I took hypnosis classes, I would have said, oh, that's just two words that feel about the same in your head and they got mixed up. The hypnosis instructor would say, no, that's somebody telling you they want to have sex with you. And so... One day, I was out with, many years ago in my single days, I was out with a woman who later ended up being my partner for 15 years, a co-worker, and she said, while she was sitting at the table, I'm ravished. (laughs) It was the only hint she gave, the only hint that she was interested in me more than a co-worker. That was it, the one and only hint, and it was enough. It was enough. Because as soon as I heard it, I said, oh, game on. And we lived together for 15 years. Now, I will tell you that that has happened more than once. I mean, not in the sexual context. But the the wrong word choice, the number of times that wrong word choice does, in fact, tell you something useful is crazy. Now, will I say that there's science behind it? No. I mean, maybe, but I'm not aware of any. So I can't tell you that it passes some kind of randomized controlled trial. Might might just be my confirmation bias, right? That would be a reasonable assumption. But you have to see how many times it works. All right. So all I'll do is ask you to keep an eye on it. It might take you 20 years to see the pattern, but keep an eye on it. This leads me to my next story about Adam Schiff, who on an interview recently... Uh, referred to the uh, Trump inciting an insurrection. That's what he hoped to say. He hoped to say that Trump had incited an insurrection. What he actually said was Trump incited an erection. Maybe... Those are just two words that sounded enough alike that his brain just confused him, and it doesn't mean anything at all. Just a normal kind of a slip of the tongue. The other possibility that seems far more likely to me, and I do believe, I'm, so I'm not, the, the sarcasm is off. I'm going to tell you something that sounds like a joke, but I'm deadly serious. I believe that Adam Schiff gets a sexual charge and of attacking Trump. That, that's my honest belief. My honest belief. And by the way, I was picking this up way before he made this uh, verbal slip. He looked like a guy who was turned on by the whole situation. Am I right? If you look at him, he looked almost like he was aroused when he talked about anything that was bad for Trump. It didn't look political To me, from the start, it never looked political. It always looked sexual. Just my opinion, right? We can't read his mind. 
so there's no way to confirm it. I'm just telling you that the, the uh, totality of my experience, including, uh, <laughs> including everything from reading body language, which is pretty, pretty sketchy stuff, to hypnosis class, to just my life experience, he looks like a person who has some sexual tingle about all of this. And by the way, I wouldn't say that. I can't think of anybody else I'd say that about. Can you? I mean, I, I certainly see people enjoying, you know, you can see that they're enjoying the, the back and forth of things. You know, I think Adam Swal- uh, uh, Eric Swalwell, I think he kind of enjoys being on TV and stirring things up and stuff. But I don't get any sense he's getting a sexual thrill out of it. But when I watch Schiff, it just looks like he's enjoying it too much, if you know what I mean. And again, we can't read his mind, so I can't say that's a fact. I'm just saying it's my uh, experienced opinion. All right. Did you hear that the QAnon shaman, you know the guy with the, uh, was it the bison horn hat? who was part of the uh, protest on January 6th. It looks like the prosecutors want to give him four years in jail. For what? Trespassing in a photogenic costume? Now, I'm not saying there were no crimes committed. There, there may have been crimes committed. But... Did you see any crime that looked like a four-year jail sentence? At all? Anything? And I believe that the prosecutor is saying fairly uh, clearly that they want to make an example out of him. Boy, is that going to work. If they make an example out of the QAnon shaman, they're going to get exactly what they wanted. They're not going to like it but they're going to get exactly what they thought they were asking for. So be careful what you ask for, government, Department of Justice. Uh, I'm going to tie a couple of stories here together. The next one is Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, If you've been following that case, you know that as of yesterday, uh, we can conclude that there is no evidence whatsoever of a crime. In fact, all of the prosecution's witnesses either provided no evidence of a crime or provided direct evidence that it was self-defense, in their own words. Uh, Actually, only one of them was still alive, I guess. Um, So what do you do in a situation where somebody was arrested, and even as, as far as toward the end of the trial, the prosecutor has not presented anything that a reasonable person would see as evidence of a crime? Actually, nothing. Actually, nothing. Now, my understanding is that in a case like this, the defense at the end would ask for a motion to dismiss. They'd say something like, well, uh, we don't even have to give you our closing statement because there was no evidence of a crime. I think you all saw what we saw. Let's just dismiss this. Now, apparently, that almost never gets accepted because it's more credible for the system if the jury decides. You You don't want the... the judge to override the jury unless it's like a real weird situation. So I get that. I get that the, sometimes the process has to run through. But here's my problem. There's a judge whose job it is to make sure justice is done. This judge is watching the same thing we are, same thing the jury is, and that judge 
knows that no evidence has been presented of a crime. Do you know what justice would look like in this case? What justice would look like is releasing the judge. It would be the judge is saying, look, let's stop right here because you don't have any evidence of a crime, so I'm not even going to send it to a jury. And on top of that, I'm going to ask the bailiffs to arrest the prosecutor. The prosecutor should be arrested and jailed for what he's done so far, which is ruin Kyle Rittenhouse's life by prosecuting a crime that doesn't exist, and he he had no evidence of it. Now, I don't think some other people have said that the prosecutor was surprised by the um, testimonies. I don't think so. I think the prosecutor knew exactly what everybody was going to say, and he knew that he didn't have any evidence of a crime, and he prosecuted anyway. If you know you don't have evidence of a crime and you prosecute anyway for what I would have to say are political reasons, I think you need to go to jail for a long time. I think the prosecutor should get 10 years in jail based on what we've seen publicly. I wouldn't need any extra evidence, just what we've seen publicly. If you put me on the jury, I would jail that uh, prosecutor for 10 years. Because what the prosecutor is doing is destroying the whole system and targeting uh, one ethnicity. Yeah, I'm going there. What do the Kyle Rittenhouse and the QAnon shaman have in common? They're adult white men who probably are pro-Trump. I think we can say that. I mean, I don't know if Kyle Rittenhouse is even political. But, you know, he, he probably leans, leans pro-Second Amendment, if you know what I mean. Uh, and I think that you have to see both of these cases as the canaries in the coal mine for hunting Republicans. If either of them are uh, convicted, and let me put a nuance here, the QAnon shaman probably violated some laws, trespassing at the very least. So if he gets convicted for like trespassing and you know he gets a, I don't know, time served or a fine or something, that's okay, that's okay. But if he gets four years, and/or Kyle Rittenhouse gets um, convicted then a new standard has been set for prosecuting adult white men. You just have to think that maybe they're part of some white supremacist movement, and then it doesn't matter what they did. As long as you can smear them with association, you can convict them right in public, right in front of everybody, for nothing. And you don't even have to cover it up. You can put it right in front of everybody and say, I'm going to send Kyle Rittenhouse to jail because we don't like uh, the Second Amendment and guns and we don't like Republicans and we don't like white men. So, So Kyle Rittenhouse has to go to jail. So here's my take on this. Uh, If the QAnon shaman gets four years, um, I think the government has to be overthrown. Can I say that? Uh, At what point do I go to jail? Does anybody know? Um, Now, I'm not not encouraging you to do it because you make your own decisions. I'm just saying that I personally, if the QAnon shaman gets four years, uh, that's war. That's war. And I'm down, just personally, I'm not going to encourage you to do anything, I'm down for overthrowing the government on that basis. Because... 
you know, I, I warned you before Biden was elected, I said if he was elected, Republicans would be hunted. This is that. This is that. These are Republicans being hunted right in front of you. Nobody's hiding any of this. This is right in front of you. And so, um, at the very least, the Department of Justice needs to have some firings over this QAnon shaman thing, if they really pursue this. And um, at the very least, you know, Biden would have to fire people, but he's, he's too degraded to do that. I don't see Biden firing anybody. I just don't think he's... he's I don't think he's in charge. And nobody else is going to do it. So... I think we would have to get serious. Well, no, I'll just say I'll get serious. I'm not going to talk you into anything because I don't want you like to get arrested like the QAnon shaman. But just personally, I would consider that cause for insurrection. So I'm certainly hoping it doesn't happen because this would be an example of hunting white people and if it, uh, white men in particular. And if, if this holds up or goes the way the prosecutor wants it to go, then the government has to be overthrown. That's my opinion. Now, at what point is it illegal to have that opinion? Can anybody advise me? Any lawyers there? I know there are always a bunch of lawyers watching this. So any lawyers? What can I say in public about overthrowing the government? Well, good question. Define overthrow. I'm not saying uh, militarily, so I'm not suggesting anything military. But I don't think anything military is required whatsoever. I think that public opinion, when it reaches whatever, 70%, 75%, gets whatever it wants. So the way I would overthrow the government would be by persuasion. And uh, you could just wait to 2022 and, and have it done that way. Uh, and that would be a good way to do it. And I, I would consider that overthrowing the government, essentially getting rid of them. I'm not saying we should overthrow the republic, and I'm not saying that you know, we should put me in charge <laughs> or, or somebody else in specifically in charge. I'm just saying that this is a complete um, failure of government. If you're targeting people for their ethnicity, and that's exactly what's happening here, they're being targeted for their ethnic and, and also their political views. These are just political prisoners. How many political prisoners are there right now that are just Republicans? Does anybody know the number? The number of Republican political prisoners? Because there's two that we know of, the QAnon shaman and Kyle Rittenhouse. They, they're <laughs> that is very clever memeing somebody's doing over on Locals. Um, yeah, I do have the, I have the right of freedom of speech, um, but can you call for insurrection directly? Is that legal? Does anybody know? I don't think you can call for a violent anything, and I wouldn't want to necessarily... I don't have any desire to change the system of a republic. It's just that the people there would have shown themselves to be essentially uh, criminal enemies of the people. And you really can't have leaders who are, have proven to be criminal enemies of the people. I would say the prosecutor in the Kyle Rittenhouse case is just a criminal. 
and calling him a prosecutor at this point, I don't even think is fair. That doesn't even feel like what's going on. He's just a criminal pursuing a crime right in front of you. That's all. Uh, Dershowitz says as long as people can offer a, 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 any kind of a dissenting opinion, it's free speech. Is that the standard? That's a good standard. All right. Um, I guess I made that point. Um, all right. And here are some of the reasons that the prosecutor wants to prosecute the QAnon shaman. Uh, the attempted coup, the prosecutor wrote. Wait, what attempted coup? This prosecutor says there was an attempted coup. That's not an evidence. Can a prosecutor say something is a coup when there's no evidence of it? Um, uh, has made us all question the safety and security of the country in which we live. Well, nothing's made me question it more than watching this criminal try to put Kyle Rittenhouse in jail. And he said those uh, enormous harms born out of the acts of his defendant must be def- deterred so that we never see a similar assault. In other words, he's saying directly we want to make an example of the QAnon shaman because he peacefully walked around in a photogenic outfit in a place he wasn't supposed to be. So, um, do you ever see, anybody ever watch Doctor Who? And if there's anybody who's a Doctor Who fan, uh, you can help me on the quote here, because I'm going to paraphrase something from Doctor Who. Do you remember when he had some issue with, I guess it was whoever was playing the Prime Minister of Great Britain, and he had some kind of dispute with the Prime Minister, and he said he was going to take down the whole government. And the Prime Minister was like, what can you do? You know, how, how can you take down the whole government? And Doctor Who said, I can do it with three words. And she just sort of dismisses him and walks away. And then Doctor Who goes over and whispers to one of the top aides, she looks tired. Is that the right quote? She looks tired? Can anybody fix my quote, please? Uh, oh, don't you think she looks tired? I think that looks, I think you remember. Don't you think she looks tired? And that was the end of the show. And the implication was that he brought down the government with just those words. Now, that's, you know, that's the TV version of it. I don't think those words would bring down a government. But you can see how, you can see how they might. In other words, what he did was simply reframe something or create a frame that wasn't there, which is that she, she looked tired. And all you have to do, yeah, the sleepy Joe, right? <laughs> and all you have to do is put that out there. If it's the right idea, it can topple a government. So, could I topple a government? Yeah, I could. I, I would argue that anybody with my skill set could. Now, that doesn't mean they could on every try, right? So if I tried 10 times, I don't know, maybe once, maybe once it would work. So I'm not claiming it's like some magic bullet or something. But somebody with my skill set could actually um, take down a government if you have a big enough platform. And I also have a big enough platform. I've said before that if I get to a million users, 
um, I'll be running the country. Uh, I'm sorry, a million followers on Twitter. I think I'm up to 660,000. 2022 is coming, and 2024. If you would like me to have more influence, uh, tell your friends to follow me. Preferably your friends who won't hate following me. (laughs) You know who they are. And see if you can get it to a million. Because if my follower account gets to a million, um, I'm kind of unstoppable at that point. I I think that's roughly where the the point of no return is, where the government would have to kill me. (laughs) They'd probably have to assassinate me if I got a million followers. Now, um, what I know that you don't know is that a lot of people have already sniffed around to figure out you know, if I'm working for a foreign power or what the hell's going on with me. Because a lot of people can't figure out what my game is. Like, what's your game? Why, why are you even doing this? What, what's, your, what's your plan? Believe it or not, my plan is to be a patriot. And I know that people don't, don't accept that. And I'll tell you where it comes from. I'm going to tell you exactly where it comes from. Um, when my first marriage ended, one of, the, one of the bad things about being a, a stepdad is that you lose not only the wife, but you know, the kids that you may have helped raise. So when I got divorced, I lost everything. Right? I mean, basically my entire structure that mattered, you know, children and, um, and wife. And I remember saying to myself that until then, I hadn't even really used social media much because my, my ex um, thought it was you know, basically an access for uh, too many women to get to me, I guess, which would be true. I mean, social media does cause you know, massive marital problems, so she wasn't wrong about that. Um, but I didn't use social media because I, you know, I put the family first, so, so to speak. But as soon as the uh, divorce happened... I thought, I don't have any purpose. Literally, it was waking up with no purpose. Because my purpose had been, you know, the maximizing the, the family, family benefit. And so I was uh, searching for a purpose because the alternative is to just, you know, end your life, basically. And I felt like uh, I still had some more, you know, value to give. And I thought it would feel meaningful me to have value. And I made a promise to myself. And everything you see from here on in is based on that promise. And I've told you before there's a a difference between wanting and deciding, right? Difference between wanting something and deciding. When you want something, you don't necessarily do anything about it. When you decide, you'll do anything. You'll do whatever it takes, because you've decided. So that's the difference between deciding and wanting. It's, It's what you're willing to do. And I decided that day that I belonged to the world from that point on. Because up until the divorce, I belonged, I belonged to the family. And if it was a conflict between what was good for the family and what was good for the world, I'd pick the family. But once, once that um, association ended, I wanted something else that would make me feel like I was doing something useful. Because I didn't want to have the... Um, I, I do possess uh, a unique set of talents, if I can say it that way. And I thought it would be wasted if I didn't have anything to do. 
And so I literally said out loud, and I've said it many times since then, that uh, I belong to the world now. Meaning that if it's not good for the world, I'm not in. Uh, in America first. So let, let me say this as clearly as possible. America first, but also good for the world. And I, and I think those are usually fairly compatible. Not always, but usually compatible. What's good for America tends to be pretty good for the world. Not always. So when you see me do stuff like this, that's the reason. That's the reason. The reason is, if I'm not doing something useful, I'm not interested. And I need to be interested. I can't wake up if I'm not interested. Now, I'm very interested. And in 2016, 2015 actually, when I saw that Trump came into the race, that was the moment something clicked with me and I realized I might be late. Hold on. Um, And I realized that this would be something I could handle. How many of you remember that when Trump first entered the race, he was just being called a clown and nobody took him seriously? And when I wrote my, then it became famous at the time, uh, clown genius piece, I reframed Trump to be a master persuader the four-dimensional chess, three-dimensional chess thing. And that became the frame that allowed people who uh, would ordinarily not support such craziness, it allowed them to do it. I think I made that happen. Now, everything else had to happen too, right? So it's not like one thing is responsible for Trump's success. Everybody who did anything useful probably had to do everything that they did or else it wouldn't have happened, especially what Trump did, right? But that was the missing piece. The missing piece was that there was no frame that could make him make sense as a, as a president, and I provided the frame. And, uh, and Alex Jones destroyed Hillary. Right, there were a lot of things that happened, so you can't say one person is responsible for anything. And so I, I pick things where I think my special skill set would have some impact, and I only do it if I think that it's clearly what's right for the world. Um, Trump, I knew, could come in and break the things that needed to get broken. And he did. He broke the things that needed to get broken. We, we think of everything differently now. And he did that. That's what I wanted. So I got out of Trump exactly what I hoped to. I wanted him to just break the way we were thinking about everything. And he just broke the hell out of it. So... Um, so that so for those who are wondering uh, and, and, I, and I think that the reason I was puzzling to some powerful entities who came sniffing around is that um, my motivation is sort of hard to understand and I think it's because it's rare <laughs> now it's selfish I mean, if you're always looking for the selfish part, oh, it's plenty selfish. It's plenty selfish. Because it's the only thing that makes me feel good. So I'm doing it to feel good. I hope it's good for you, too. But, yeah, it's ultimately selfish, if you want to think of it that way. Anyway, i got to go do some uh, other stuff. Thanks for waiting. Sorry I was late today. I just got caught up in something. And I will talk to you later. <laughs>